As we were just singing that, I thought about uh, my conversation that I had with Nidia yesterday as we were running. And uh, when I get to run with her, I know how fast I'm running and how far I'm running because she has it on her phone and she's got a little thing that goes on her side. And so you can listen to the voice and it tells you how far you've gone and how fast you've gone. And then she has music going. And I noticed that as I ran with her, it had been several weeks uh, since I'd ran with her. And I'm very, very sore today after a few days of running with her. Um, but I heard these songs. These are new songs. They're not the same songs she had been running to before. And I asked her, I'm like, these are different songs. She's like, yeah. She's like, I called this, or, and she told me there's a Spanish word that's better than the English word, but it means to plead. To plead. And she's like, it's when you get to the end of yourself and you realize, I have nothing left, I have nothing to give, and I just need to plead. I just need to ask God to do for me what I can't do for myself. I just need to ask God to show up. I have nothing left. He's got to show up. If He doesn't show up, I'm going to look foolish. If He doesn't show up, I can't go on. And that's just the heart I want us to have. Even this morning as we come together, sometimes as we sit together, as it's cold or as we're tired or depending on what's going on in our lives, that we have to just come before God and plead with Him and ask Him to do for us what we can't do for ourselves, to ask Him to carry us on, to ask Him to show up. But if he doesn't show up this morning, there's no reason for us to, to get together. There's no reason for us um, to spend this time. So we're asking God to come with us. We're pleading for him to do that in us. So let me just pray quickly, and then I'm going to teach. We're actually going to pray together as a body um, during the message. Uh, Father God, Lord, we do. We just, um, Lord, we come before you, and we beg, and we plead. Lord, for you to speak to us, for you to be present here with us. Lord, for your Holy Spirit to work in and through us, Father. Lord, that we are nothing and you are everything, Father. Lord, with you, all things are possible. And so, Lord, I just pray that you come this morning, that you would speak to us in power through your word. Lord, illuminate your word to us through the Holy Spirit, Father. I pray that we would hear what we need to hear. Lord, that you would change what you need to change. Lord, that we would uh, lay our lives down before you, Father, that you would be our universe, Father, that we would seek after you and nothing else, Father, that you would be our highest priority. So, Lord, we give you this time this morning. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for letting us participate with you. Thank you for being in our presence. Thank you for loving us. May you be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so one other thing. Um, we've asked if you've read your Multiply this morning. But more important, have you read this this week? Okay? Don't lose track of that. Because you're reading these 10, 12 pages in Multiply, doesn't mean you get to read Multiply, and now you've got to pass on reading your Scripture. You've got to pass on reading the Bible. Don't do that. Okay? It's very easy to do that. It's very easy to make uh, excuses for that. But please be in God's Word. If anything else, that, that multiply would lead you to and give you a desire for God's Word. So please make sure you are in God's Word um, throughout the week. So to review, last week we talked about session one. And we talked about what it meant to, who is a disciple? What is a disciple? And that literally a disciple is a follower. And we talked about we have to take that term literally to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And He's the teacher. We're the follower. We're following Him. We want our lives to align with Him. We want to believe what He's taught us and we want to act it out. 
before we follow him, we talked about this idea that we have to come to a point, a place of repentance. We have to turn. We looked in Ephesians 2 and talked about we were following the, our own desires. We were following the way of the world. We were following the enemy, but we have to stop and we have to turn and we have to follow Christ. And we do that by grace through faith. God has done that for us. He has made the way for us. It's Jesus Christ. That's the only way. And so we have to turn and not just turn, but we have to follow. He has to be our Lord and He has to be our Savior. He has to be both. And as we do that, then His agenda becomes our agenda. He becomes Lord. And we talked about His agenda being love and that we're to love God and we're to love others. And that love involves sacrifice, but in that sacrifice, it's not to be joyless, it's to be full of joy. That we should actually be full of joy the more that we're loving, the more that we're caring for, the more that we're sacrificing for other people, because God has loved us. So who wouldn't want that? We talked about, that's a great situation. We can be following Christ, we can be loving others, we can be filled with joy. But then at the end, we talked about this need to count the cost. That Jesus said, is a great, there were great crowds that were following him. And he turned to them and he said, like, are you ready to give up your life? Are you ready to love me more than your father, more than your mother, more than your wife, more than your children? I have to be the highest priority. And if you're not willing to pick up your cross, if you're not willing to die to yourself, you can't be my disciple. You cannot be my disciple if you're not willing to do that. So if we've counted the cost, then he spoke to his disciples and he gave them a commission. We all know the Great Commission. We all know Matthew 28. We all know that Jesus went to his disciples and what he told them to do. We've heard that passage before. We've read it before. We've probably studied it before. But do we even know what a commission is? You can be commissioned into the army. You can be commissioned for different things to carry out. But the idea behind it is that someone with authority is placing another party with that same authority to carry out a task or to carry out a mission. And so Jesus says here in the Matthew 28, says, all authority has been given to me and I'm going to give you that, that authority and you're going to carry out this task that I began. You're going to carry out this mission that I began. I came and I began to make disciples. I took you 11 men and I made you disciples and now you go and make disciples as well. He wants us to continue what he has started. So that's our title. If this is our job, our title is a disciple. We talked about that last week. And today we're going to talk more about our job description. Okay? What are the duties that we have to fulfill? What is it that God is commanding us to do? What's this commission that He's given us? So we're going to go back to Matthew 28. Let me read that first in English, and then Nita will read it in Spanish. But Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So there's lots in there. There's lots that he's telling them to do. But the primary imperative, the primary command, the one thing, if we could have read the Greek and understood that, we know that it means to go make disciples. Make disciples is the main thing. Everything else is describing how we make disciples. Okay? And we're going to talk about those different components of making disciples. But making disciples is the primary imperative. The other three things that we're going to talk through are these different components. The first is to go. The second is to baptize. And the third is to teach. So he's like, as you're making disciples, this is how you're going to make disciples. You're going to go, you're going to baptize, and you're going to teach. 
So we're going to walk through the three components and talk about that. So the first is to go. Go therefore, making disciples of all nations. What does that mean? What does that mean that we have to go? As I thought about this, and you think about the context, he was telling them to go to a people that were unlike themselves. He was telling them to go to a people that were not like them. And if you put yourself in the context there, Jesus had come to the house of Israel. He had come to the nation of Israel. He had come to the Jews as a Jew. And he was going to be this king. And they had this idea that he was going to establish this kingdom. And the entire Old Testament had been about God's people being a light. And the way they lived, the way they behaved, they would be this light that would actually draw the nations to them. And the nations would see how God blessed them and how they walked with God. And they would want to be like that. So they'd almost draw people in. And now Jesus is saying, I've come, I've died, I've been resurrected, and now I'm about to go with the Father, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And what I want you to do, instead of drawing people in, I want you to actually take that light out. So instead of drawing people towards you, I want you actually to go to the people. He wants us to embody, He wants us to be incarnational, He wants us to walk amongst people that are unlike ourselves. He wants us to live our lives, not in a holy huddle, not grouped together, but actually living out amongst others that are unlike us, that are not believers, that are of a different background. Some of our Bibles, they mostly translate it all nations. But I don't like that translation because it makes us, in our context, we think of a political border. We think of, okay, if I cross this border and I cross from this country into that country, now all of a sudden I've gone to the nations. And I think that's true, but in this context, he's telling me, I want you to go to this other people, this ethne, these other people group, these other ethnicities, these people of other backgrounds, of other languages, of other, of other everything. So Jesus comes to his disciples, and thinking about last week, he says, I want you to make disciples. I want you to pick up your cross. I want you to carry it. I want you to walk to your death as you follow me. And by the way, I want you to go and I want you to convince others to do this with you. And the ones I want you to convince to do this with you are the ones that are completely unlike you. They're the other ethnic, that are not Jewish, that are not of Israel. I want you to go outside of that. They're a different ethnicity. They were of a different culture. They spoke different languages. And Jesus says, go to them. Live your life amongst them. So I want to ask you, are there others? Are there others in your life? Or is it about you? Because Jesus says our life should be about the others. We're to go to the ethnic, to the ones that are not like us. If there are others in your life, are they truly others? Or are the others in your life look just like you? They should look different. They should be different. We should go outside of the people that look just like us and think like us and come from different, the same background as us. It should be others. And so when we talk about our vision as a church, we talk about being multi-ethnic, multi-class, multilingual. That really in this neighborhood, we have no reason not to go to the others, not to have others be a part of us, not to share the gospel and proclaim the gospel with the ethne. The ethne are here. We get to do that. It's easy. It's simple. It's not easy and simple, but it's right here. And so we have no excuse as a body that that's what we should look like, that that's what it would look like for us here in this neighborhood to carry out this great commission. And so that's the going. And then he says, as you go, I want you to baptize. 
So again, what does that mean? I think just in general, it means to identify with. Baptism is a form of identification. If we are baptized into Christ, then we're going to identify with Him. We're going to identify fully with His death, and we're going to identify fully with His resurrection. And as we'll talk in a minute, we would identify fully with the body. Let me show you Romans chapter 6, verse 3 through 5. I'll read it in English and then read it in Spanish. Romans 6, verse 3. Do, not, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. So we're going to the ethne, we're going to the others, we're going to the nations, and we're saying we want you to be baptized, we want you to identify with Jesus Christ, we want you to identify fully with Him, we want you to be a part of, share in, be united in His death, and also His resurrection. And as we talk about baptism, you guys have seen that. Well, what exactly is going on in baptism? Well, the water's not special. It's not something that's mystical, okay? But it's a picture. It's an external picture, an external proclamation of what's happened internally. It's, it's what this transformation has happened inside. We're going to demonstrate that outside, and we're going to proclaim that to everyone. And so as, an, as a believer professes Christ, they believe in Christ, they want to follow Christ, they're actually dropped down into the waters, and that represents... Jesus' death, that He died, that we die with Him, that we're dropped into those waters. And as we do that, we also share with Him then in His life, and we're brought up and we have this new life, we're resurrected with Him. So that's a picture of this death and burial and this resurrection that we share with Jesus Christ. It's with Him, it's in Him. It's His death, and it's also His resurrection. Now in addition to that, baptism also demonstrates not only our unity with Christ, but also our unity with the body, that we're now part of Him, and as we're part of Him, then we're part of the body. If you look at Galatians 3, verse 26 through 28, it says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Notice it says in verse 26, it says, You are all sons of God. We're all sons and daughters of God. We get to participate in that. It says, For you are all one in Christ Jesus at the end. Verse 28. We're one with Him, and we're one with each other. We're one with the body. And I will tell you, and as I look at you guys, we're a weird group. If you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, just inherently, there's going to be some issues with you. All right, we're a strange group. I mean, think about it that we're going to be a group that's a misfit group, a weird group, a broken group, a needy group. That's who we are. That's who we've realized we are. That's our condition, and yet Christ has met all of those needs. That's who Jesus, that's what Jesus has done for us. But as you look to your left and right, we're a bunch of, of weirdos. I mean, who would gather in a room and listen to a guy talk from a book every week over and over again? Who would get up and who would pray to this God that you can't see? Who would come to each other and help each other and walk with each other and share our lives with each other? Like, that's completely against the culture. We are strange. And that's okay. But what I thought about was that some of us want a, a selective membership. When I go to Costco, 
our membership just ended, and so we had to select, well, what membership do you want now? And I was like, well, what, me- what memberships do you have? And said, so, well, there's the, uh, the, the, just the original membership for an individual. Then you can get the Gold Star membership, or then you can get the Executive Gold Star. But maybe as a church, we could get a membership that's a business membership, and so we can have a business membership that's Gold Star, Executive, etc. There's all these different levels of membership, all these different levels that it costs, and then there's all these different things that you get in return for that. And so I get to select, we get to select, well, how do I want to participate, and what do I want to get in return? But for the church, for this baptism, to be one in Christ, to be joined with Christ, and to be joined with each other, there's no membership levels. You're either in or you're out. You either have it or you don't. This is the membership that we get to have, and we get to be baptized into that, into His death, into His resurrection, and then also into the body. But some of us will say, well, I don't want to join in the death. I just want to join in the resurrection. Well, I'll join in the death and resurrection, but I don't want to join in the body. It's got to be all three, and it goes all three together. His death, his resurrection, and the body. And the one thing about baptism is that it's public. It's a public display. It's an outward display of what's happened internally. And I think that's what makes it difficult. And I think that's what would hold people from saying, well, I believe, but I'm not ready to publicly display that. I'm not ready to publicly proclaim that. And as I look through the New Testament, I can't find an example of a believer, some of a follower of Christ who has not been baptized or what did not follow their belief with baptism. And so as I ask you this morning, do you believe? And then asking you this morning, have you been baptized? Have you made that public proclamation that I am a follower of Jesus Christ, I believe and I'm going to follow, and I'm going to proclaim that now to the body around me, I'm going to proclaim that now to the world around me, that I'm in. I have the full membership, I'm completely in, I'm all in. And what would keep us from doing that? What would keep us from being all in? And it might be that you would lose your identity. And I would say that's true. God says you're going to lose your life. This is what it means to follow me. It's to lose your life. It's no longer about you. It's about me and it's about others. And so I think identity is a big part of this. Because that's what baptism is. We're identifying with Christ and we're identifying with each other. And in some sense, I'm losing my own identity. In my house with Annalise, I can say, Annalise, you are... And she immediately says, so beautiful. Sometimes I can just look at her and say, Annalise, she's like, I am so beautiful. She finishes the whole sentence for you. I don't even have to say, you are. That's what I've told her. That's what I've taught her. That's what she says. That's all I have to ask. She says, I am beautiful. And so I ask you guys, what do you think? As your father looks at you, I am what? How do you fill in that blank? What do you say? I am... Fill it in. What do you think? Is what you think accurate? Is what you think biblical? Is what you think what God would think of you as a son or daughter that's identified with him, that's a part of his family? But we get mixed up and we don't want to lose our identity. For myself, I started to think through, I am, I am a what? This is what I came up with. I am a husband. 
I'm a father. I'm a pastor. I'm a hospital director. I'm an employee. I'm a brother. I'm a son. I'm a gringo. I'm an American. I'm native born. And then I got to these middles, which I don't really like. I'm middle class. And then the, the, the worst one, I'm middle aged. I'm educated. I'm a man. That's what I thought through. There are more identities that I have. There are more roles that I play. But what's the one role that I left out? What's the run, one role that should be the priority, that should be first, that, I should, that should come to my mind when I say, I am, I am what? We should say, I am a son, I am a daughter of the King. And I'm a follower of Christ. Like That should be at the top of our list. If we were to submit a resume for this job description to make disciples, that's all we need is to say, I'm a, I'm a son of the King, I'm a daughter of the King, and I'm a follower of Christ. Everything else we need to hold loosely. Everything else we need to allow the gospel to change. Everything else we need to be subjective or in subjection to the gospel and allow God to change it. The gospel must come to bear in every area of our life and in every identity that we have. So I want you to think through how you identify yourself. How is it that you see yourself? Who are you? And is it in the right order? Do you think of that first, that I am a son or daughter of the King, that I am a follower of Christ? What do you hold to that God is not asking you to hold to? And what's so amazing is as we come together and we have all these distinctions, all these differences amongst us, our backgrounds, our languages, our class, our ethnicity, everything is different. But as we come together, despite all those distinctions, despite all those differences, and we stand together because we identify with Christ and we identify with others, it actually demonstrates the supernatural power of the gospel. That we would come together, not only that we all like to play baseball or that we all have the same background, but like but Jesus Christ. We come together for the gospel and it's the one thing that we have in common and that's enough to unite us all despite our differences, despite our distinctions. It would break all of those barriers. And Trent and I were meeting with a guy last week. He was sharing with us what God was doing, what he felt like God was calling him uh, to do. And he was a part of a church here in L.A. and he was going to go and actually start a gang church. He wanted to start a church amongst the gangs in this area of L.A. And it was actually an area that was close to his home church. And he's telling us about this and how he's going to do this and how he's going to go into the neighborhood and how he's going to build these relationships and how he's going to start this. And they're going to have these, in a sense, small groups of gangs that, you know, from these different gangs and they're going to have this neighborhood church where all the gangs can come together. And he said, well, we're not going to ask the gangs to come to our church because as he described himself, says, we're like a hipster church. You know, we're, a, we're, we're this middle class white church. We're hipsters. And we can't ask these gang members to come in and participate with us. You know, we don't want to make them look like us. We don't want to make them worship like us. We don't, can't expect them to, to worship like hipsters and to, to teach like hipsters and all those ways that they are hipsters. And I heard what he said. And I wasn't disagreeing with it. Like, no, yeah, you shouldn't make them come and act and worship and teach like hipsters. But I'm like, something is wrong. Like, it just, it wouldn't settle with me. It just, it, and I walked away from it, and I just felt uncomfortable about it. And as I was studying last night, I called Trent, and I said, Trent, I understand what was frustrating me about that conversation. I understand now that they weren't willing 
for their hipster church to change. They weren't willing for gang members to come in. That meant that they needed to be different, that they needed to worship differently, they needed to act differently, they needed to teach differently because they would bring in these other members, these other ethnic, these other people of different backgrounds into their church, into their body. They knew they needed to go to them, they knew they needed to make them disciples, but they were going to have them be on their own. They could have a gang church and we'll have a hipster church and we'll all be happy and we'll all be comfortable and we'll all do things the way we want to do them. Because I'm not willing to give up my hipster church. And so I want to ask you, are you willing to give up what we have? Are you willing to give up? What, is this going to change? Is this going to look different depending on who comes into our body? That we have to be willing to hold on to our identities loosely and be willing to change them and be willing to be uncomfortable. Because what typically happens is there's the group that was here first and the group that was in a church first said, this is, this is our church, this is how we do church, and this is who we are. And if you're going to be a part of this church, then you need to come and you need to be like us. And if we weren't here first, well, now we're the majority, and there's more of us than there are of you, and we're going to be and act and worship and teach like the majority of us. And if it's not the majority, it could be years from now that there, we started off with several of these white people from West Hills, and they came together with us, and we're starting to change and starting to look different. But what about five years from now? What if it, we're majority Hispanic, but we could say, you know what? We're still in control. It's going to be like we want it to be, because I have the influence and we have the power, particularly in our culture, and it's going to look that way in the church. So whether we were here first, whether we have more people, or whether we have the influence and the power, those are no, none of those are good reasons to hold on to what we want to hold on to, to be able to worship the way that we worship, to be able to teach the way that we teach. The only identity, the only thing that we have to hold on to is Jesus Christ and the gospel. Everything else we need to hold loosely. We need to be willing to change. We need to be willing as other people come into our body that we would actually have a new culture, that we'd actually interact differently with each other. That it's not going to stay the same, but the, the, but the gospel will. We say that we are a diverse body who collectively seeks to proclaim the supremacy and the worth of Jesus Christ. A diverse body. But yet we're seeking together to proclaim the supremacy and the worth of Jesus Christ. And I don't know what that's going to look like. But that's what we'll continue to do. Regardless of our diversity, we're going to remain unified in Christ. And we're going to proclaim His supremacy and proclaim His worth. And it's going to be uncomfortable. I've had people tell me, why in the world are you doing this with the interpretation? It's uncomfortable. Why wouldn't we just do it in Spanish or do it in English? Or why wouldn't we have two services? Or how can you do that? How can you expect people to sit through that? And it's okay that it's uncomfortable. We should be willing to sacrifice our comfort for this unity that we have in Christ. We should be willing to sit in hard, rubberized chairs in a cold warehouse so that we can be in the neighborhood, so that we can have neighbors walk into this building. It's going to be uncomfortable. But I want, um, I'm going to ask for Sergio to come up now. I've asked him to share his testimony and uh, how he was before Christ, how he came to Christ, and then his life after coming to know Christ. And as you look at me and Sergio, <laughs> there are a few distinctions. There are a few differences between me and Sergio. I won't ask you guys who's good looking and who's not. 
but you see the differences. And Sergio is sacrificing to be here and to be a part of this body. We should be willing to sacrifice as well so that he can participate and that he can be a part. We should be willing to sacrifice for each other in whatever way we need to. Not based on our desires, not based on what's comfortable, but based on our unity that we have in Christ. And so I want him to share his story to encourage us. And then he's going to share some other things that are going on that we can pray. And so after he shares, we're actually going to have our time of prayer together and really in response to what Sergio has to share. Buenos días. Buenos días a todos. Pues, discúlpame si me, me siento poco nervioso también de estar aquí por primera vez con ustedes, hablando enfrente, como, pero a la vez me da gusto estar con todos ustedes, que son parte de mi familia, son parte de, de Piedras Vivas, y les pido que, que me disculpe si me equivoco o cualquier cosa. En mi vida anteriormente, antes de conocer al Señor, era muy, era muy difícil. Era tan difícil de comprender cómo vivir o cómo vivía en, en mi vida fuera del Señor, en un lugar oscuro, sin conocerlo, su palabra, sin conocer el amor que Él tenía para nosotros o que me tenía para mí, con mi familia. Mi familia realmente es este... Yo soy casado también y mi familia, pues por el momento no está conmigo. Soy padre también y mis hijos no están conmigo también. Y, y sé que es difícil de compartir y decir que mis hijos están fuera con su mamá. Pero sé que Dios es grande también y que Él puede cambiar y ser su voluntad que la familia se, res, se restaura o que forma otra vez un hogar mediante a, al amor de Dios como ustedes me han enseñado cómo amar a cada uno de nuestros hermanos, a cada uno de nuestros hijos, a cada uno de, de nuestras esposas esposos y yo estoy estudiando con todo eso estudiando con con mis hermanos también, con Emanuel, con Ernesto, con, con todos nuestros hermanos estamos ahí. Y quisiera dar también las gracias por los tiempos que ellos me han prestado, su, de su tiempo, de su trabajo para estudiar con ellos. Y difícil en el momento que yo estoy, en el momento que Dios está obrando en mi vida pero me siento tan contento a la vez por ustedes que me han dado el ánimo y el esfuerzo que ustedes han hecho con cada uno de, de nuestros hermanos y el esfuerzo que ustedes hicieron cuando fueron también en, en los apartamentos en casa sin importar el frío sin importar el tiempo de lluvia que estaba pues yo soy fruto de, de uno de esos esfuerzos que ustedes hicieron y doy gracias por la hermosa idea que ustedes han hecho y yo también estoy listo y, y celebrar y, y ayudar a las demás personas y caminar con todo el, de la palabra de Dios para ayudar a otra persona así como 
cada uno de ustedes hicieron para alcanzar a mí, para cambiar mi vida, para cambiar mi forma de pensar como lo pensaba antes sin conocer al Señor y ahora me siento una nueva persona, una nueva vida esperando a mi familia si Dios me lo permite esperando a mis hijos y restaurar otra vez el hogar de mi familia porque ese es el amor que Dios quiere para cada uno de nosotros que estemos unidos con nuestros hijos que estemos unidos con nuestros hermanos que estemos juntos para alcanzar a Él para alcanzar su amor y para estar en su gloria junto con nuestros hermanos con nuestros hijos con toda nuestra familia y le comparto también que mañana es un día difícil para mí, pero no para el Señor, porque sé que Él va a estar conmigo en el corte que voy a tener mañana, con mi familia, con mis hijos, y que Dios esté ahí en esa corte, y que Dios obra ante un juez la decisión de la para restaurar la familia o una decisión mejor para que nuestro, nuestra familia esté unido y que conozca también a cada uno de nuestros hermanos que estamos aquí en Piedras Vivas y que, me Dios, y que Dios me dé la, la, la facilidad de estar con toda mi familia y pido eso que todos estemos participando que me ayude a orar para mi familia que Dios que Dios restaura mi hogar, a mi familia, a mis hijos, y que estemos todos juntos para estar unidos y alcanzar la gloria de Dios. Y gracias por, por su tiempo y gracias por estar en este lugar y gracias por todo lo que hicieron para verme aquí, para estar aquí con ustedes. Y gracias a todos ustedes. Amén. So what we're going to do is in response to that, we're going to take a break from the teaching and uh, have our time of prayer. And specifically, let's lift up uh, our brother Sergio. Thank God for him, but also lift him up as he walks through this with his family and for restoration. And that God continue to grow him uh, as he walks with uh, Jesus, as he follows him. So let's just pray for that together. As always, um, if you'd like to pray in English or Spanish, either one is okay. Just raise your hand. We'll bring the mic to you. And Nidia will interpret for the other language. Father God, I thank you for my brother, Sergio. Lord, I thank you that I can call him brother. Lord, that he is a part of your family. That he is identified with you. And so he's identified with us. Lord, I'm so thankful for him. Lord, thank you for how you used him in my life to encourage me, to challenge me. Lord, you used him to transform me. Lord, I pray that you would teach us as a body 
how to identify with him. Lord, how can we walk with him? Lord, how can we love him? Lord, show us what that looks like. Lord, we plead with you, we beg with you. Lord, because we don't have, we don't have that figured out. But Lord, I pray that because of our unity that we share in the gospel, the Holy Spirit that you have given to us, that abides in us, that abides in him, Lord, that we would walk together in unity. Lord, I pray for his family. Lord, and we do, Lord, we ask you, Lord, would you, would you do that? Would you restore his family, Father? Lord, we ask that as you have restored that relationship that you have now with him, Father, that you would restore that relationship in his family, Father. I pray that his entire family would come to know you and that they'd be reconciled with you and they'd be reconciled with each other, Father. Lord, we ask you to do more than we can ask, more than we can think, more than we can imagine, Father. Lord, I pray that you would do that for your glory. And Lord, may you have us walk with him, loving with him, and receiving his love, Father. Lord, that we need each other. And thank you that you have joined us together. And that we are a part of your body. Lord, that we have that fellowship with you. And we have that fellowship with each other. Lord, thank you so much for that miracle. Thank you for what you've done in his life. Thank you for the transformation that we have gotten to see and be a part of. And so we lift him up. Now and we lift him up tomorrow, Father. Lord, we ask me your will be done in his life, in this situation, Father. May he continue to follow you hard. May he continue to trust you with everything, Father. May he continue to make you the priority above all other things, Father. We thank you for his life. In Jesus' name. Amen. So that's why I wanted us to pray. I wanted us to identify with Sergio. He is part of us. He's part of our body. If we could do that with any of us and all of us and that that's how we should be living, that's how we should be walking. That we've gone, we've gone to the people that are not like us. We've gone to the others in a sense. In each of our lives, that's different. And that we have, they've been baptized. They've been identified now in the death and the resurrection of Christ and we identify with them as a part of our body. And so if we go and if we're baptizing, then the last thing is to teach. What are we to teach? We're to teach understanding and we're to teach action based on God's Word. God's Word is the authority we have. God's Word is what we teach. God's Word is what we bring forth. Not our own understanding, not our own what we think should happen, but according to God's Word. In every aspect, completely. It's the only authority that we have. It's the thing that will change our lives. It's the thing that we submit to. It's the thing that we follow. That's God's Word to us. That's what Jesus has commanded to us. And He's given us the Holy Spirit to understand it, and we can actually live it out in our lives. We have to proclaim the Word of God, and we have to demonstrate the Word of God. And so as we go, we baptize, and we teach. As we guys, we're all teachers. You guys know that. In discipleship, as we walk in each other's lives, we're to share in each other's lives. We don't share according to our own opinions, according to our own thoughts, according to our own wisdom. We share 
according to the word of God, that that's the authority that we have and that's the only authority that we're able to share. So who is supposed to do this? Who's supposed to go? Who's supposed to baptize? And who's supposed to teach? It sounds like that should be a missionary. That should be a pastor. That should be a trained individual. But it should be all of us. That's our job description as a disciple. We are all disciples, and so we're all supposed to be doing the going, the baptizing, the teaching. And so I want to share from Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 16. I'll read it in English and read it in Spanish. Verse 11, it says, And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So look at verse 12. Who's supposed to do the work of ministry? The saints. Who are the saints? We are. We all are. The church. We're the saints. We're to be equipped for the work of ministry. The ministry is to be done by all of us. That's our job description. We have this ministry. And what is ministry? Who sets the agenda? God sets the agenda. What's His agenda? His agenda is love. He's made us as ministers of His love. We're to proclaim His love. And it says... In the end it says, in speaking the truth in love, verse 15, rather speaking this truth in love, we're to grow up in this in every way. That's our job. We're all to be ministers of this love, be ministers of the gospel. At the end, in verse 16, it says, when each part is working properly, when each of us are doing our job, when each part of the body, when each saint is actually participating in this ministry, it says it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We'd all be ministering in what we talked about. You before me. God before me. Each other before myself. My neighbor before me. But that's the ministry that we have. It should be other-oriented. When we talk about our values as a church, we're gospel-centered, gospel-driven. We're about the person, the work of Jesus Christ. Everything we do is from that. And out of that... We're church-centered and we're neighbor-focused. That's the idea behind our values, is this very thing, that we would carry out that ministry. And if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 20, it talks specifically about this ministry that's been given to us. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If you look at verse 20, it says God making His appeal through us. It actually means that God is making use of us. 
God is making use of us on His behalf to make this appeal of reconciliation, to be reconciled with Him. He's taking what was useless, He's taking us, and He's making use of us. He's actually making us beneficial. He's actually making us purposeful. He's giving us purpose as we serve Him in this way. And as we serve Him in this way, then we're serving others and bringing them in. We're reconciling them. These vertical relationships to be made right with God, but also the horizontal relationships to be made right with each other. And that's what we get to participate. That's this ministry. That's what discipleship should look like as we grow in Christ, our knowledge of Christ, and walking like Him. And so as we consider discipleship, as we consider this ministry, it said the saints, it said all the saints. Why aren't we doing it? What are our excuses? What excuse do you have for not participating in this ministry? What excuse do you have for not being a disciple and making disciples? What excuse do you have for not going and for not baptizing and for not teaching? Everybody's got it? Seriously, think of an excuse. All right. And this is my theory. That all of your excuses fit into two categories. It's either based on time, or it's either based on transparency. Now the first one is time, and you'd be like, well, I just don't have the time. You don't know what all's on my plate. I've got all these things I've got to take care of, and where am I going to find the time? When Jesus made this commission, when he spoke to his disciples, how many hours were in the day? There were 24. Time hasn't changed. The amount of time they had day to day, our lives haven't changed. We have the exact same amount of time as anyone else in all of history has had. We don't change time. And so I think the issue is the one of priority. We can say we don't have time. We can say we're too busy. We can say we have all these other things to do. But that's because we're doing all of these other things. And so I want to ask you, have you made discipleship a priority? Have you made this ministry that we're to have a priority? Have you put that first? Have you made that above other things? Have you sacrificed other things that you may want to do and that may be good things? But Jesus says, this is to be the priority. This is the mission I give you. This is what you're to go and do. You're to go and be disciples and make disciples. And it has to be first. It has to be the priority. Time is not an excuse. And the other is transparency. Well, it's difficult to go before God. It's difficult to let God see who I am and actually be real before Him. And I think that's just kind of foolish. It's foolish to think that the omniscient, omnipresent, sovereign God doesn't already know all of your issues and all of your conditions. He created you. He knitted you in your mother's womb. He knows everything about you. And yet you're embarrassed to go before Him. And yet you don't want to be transparent before Him. It just doesn't make sense. It's, it's not a great excuse. And the other would be that we don't want to be transparent with each other. Because discipleship requires relationships. And in those relationships, then I need to be transparent. And I might not have a lot of time, and I might be able to go before God, but I don't want to be transparent with my brother or sister, because then they're going to see me for who I am. I don't want to share everything. I'll share parts, but not all of it. I just prefer to keep it between me and God. I'll identify with God, but I won't identify with the body. And so, none of those excuses, biblically, are valid. We have no excuse. We have no excuse 
not to be disciples and make disciples. We have no excuse not to be participating in this ministry. It's either an issue of priority, it's an issue of transparency. Whatever else you have, if you think it doesn't fit into one of my two categories, I'll tell you now it's not valid. You have no excuse. You can let it go, you can drop it, you can quit saying that. And when you ask each other and say, well, why haven't you met? Have you met? Are you doing discipleship? Don't come up with excuses. We have no excuse. And so I want to encourage you guys to do that. I want you to encourage that actually what's coming out of your mouth, what you're saying, and the reasons why you wouldn't do that, the reasons why you wouldn't walk with the Lord, and the reasons why we wouldn't walk with each other, that we'd actually think about what we're saying. And we think about what that means. As I talked about last week when I was telling my kids when we complain, it's basically we're saying, God, I don't like the way you're doing things. And when we say, well, I don't have enough time to meet with my brother or sister and talk about our lives and talk about how we're growing, we're saying, God, you're not a big enough priority in my life. My brother and my sister is not a big enough priority in my life. I'm more concerned about me. Thank you very much. That's the reality of what we're saying. That's the reality of what, we, what we're doing. And we have to be willing to put that first. We have to be willing to make that a priority, regardless of what else is going on in our lives. And so I challenge you guys to think through that. I challenge you guys to pray through that. And consider what your excuses are. Consider what's holding you from that. And then really identify what's behind that. What's the heart issue behind that. Because we're to be disciples who are making disciples. We're to be about this ministry. But we're not alone. We're together. We're in community. We're in this family. We're brothers and sisters. We're together. We're not a disciple in isolation. We need each other. We have to be in each other's lives. We can't do this on our own. And if you read through the passages that we've talked about, there are no eyes. There's no me's. There are, no ad, there are no pronouns that are singular. It's all we's and it's all y'all's. All right? It's we's and it's y'all's. And I don't say you because you can be there. In my language in the South, it's just y'all. Okay? You know that's plural. As you look through all these passages, you know it's, it's we's and it's y'all's. And we have to think that way. We tend to read the scriptures and we tend to process them for ourselves. And this is about me and this is about my life and this is about what God is doing in me. And this is what about God is doing in us. And we have to be identifying with Him and His death and His resurrection and identifying with the body as we walk with each other, as we consider His Word, as we teach. We have to do it together. And so in Living Stones, we've set up a structure. This idea of discipleship and different pairings and relationships that we're going to have with each other and that we're going to be intentional about. And that if you want to be a part of this body, if you want to be a part of this family, then you're going to walk in discipleship. That you're going to be with someone else, learning with someone else, sharing with someone else, praying with someone else, and be intentional about those relationships. It doesn't mean that you can't be in relationship with other people. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be sharing in other people's lives. But this is just one person. As we're together as a family, I'm going to be intentional about being connected, about being transparent with, about making a priority of. And we're going to have this time together, and we're going to seek the Lord together, and we're going to identify together. And that's the expectation as a family member. That's the expectation for discipleship. That's the expectation as we walk in this ministry. I don't see another way. I don't see a good excuse. I just see this is what we're supposed to do. And so that's what I'm asking you guys as we participate together that we would encourage each other to actually do that. That we'd actually be hearers of the Word, that we'd understand the Word, but we'd actually do it. We'd actually prioritize our lives in order to do that. That's the ministry of our church. Everything else we do 
has to be connected to discipleship. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. His word is the foundation. But as we build this house, as he builds this house, as he builds us up as living stones together, the framework, everything we see is going to be discipleship. That's what the neighborhood is going to see. That's what we're going to see in each other is how we love each other, how we care for each other, how we speak in each other's life, how we grow with God, how we come to know him more. And so we've got to be about this mission of discipleship. And let me pray, and then we'll worship. Father God, we just come before you. Lord, and I just admit now that I feel awkward in a sense. Lord, I feel unable. Lord, that it's even silly for me to say these things, to proclaim these things, to to challenge us in these things. Lord, questions start to go through my mind. Are we really supposed to do that? Are we truly supposed to make you that much of a priority? Can our, can our lives truly be changed? Lord, could we do that as a body? Would we look different, Lord? Would we change and transform our lives because of this call that you have on our life? Because of this identity that we share in you. Lord, and I pray that you would give me faith, Father, to believe. Lord, that you would give us faith to believe that this is your word, Father, and that we would act according to it. Lord, that we would seek to subject our lives to it. That we would submit to the authority of your word. Lord, that it would change and transform our lives. Lord, we don't know how to do this. We cannot do this on our own. And Lord, I pray that you would empower us as a body to truly be a body of disciples. Lord, that we would be disciples and that we would make disciples, Father. Lord, that we would respond to your call and we would repent and we would follow you. Lord, that we would count the cost of what it means to give up our life so that we might find our life in you. Lord, that we'd be serious about this commission that you've given us to go and to make disciples. Lord, that we would do that together as a community. Lord, that we would have this fellowship as we learned about in 1 John, Lord, that that is in you and that is in your Son and that we share with each other. Lord, please, I beg you, Lord, please make us a body of disciples. Make us a family of disciples. Lord, build us up as a spiritual house of disciples. Lord, that we would be known here in this place, in this neighborhood, as a group that is following you, that is submitted to you, that is loving you, that is raising you up, that is bringing glory to you. Lord, please, I pray that your word would speak to our hearts, would light the dark places, the things that we hold on to, the excuses that we have, or that they wouldn't stand up any longer. Lord, we give you our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.